0: Born Digital brings you LaunchBase. Base. liftoff. We have a liftoff. The world of tech startups reimagined. Build and elevate your idea, product, and company as we take you behind the scenes with successful entrepreneurs, investors, and tech professionals. These mentors showed me a map of success. Learn from inspiring stories, business strategies, and marketing techniques that will take your business to the next level. Are you ready? And now your host, John Radford. Hey, and welcome to another episode of Post. If you don't already know, this is a podcast all about tech startups and everything digital product. If you are a startup just starting out in your journey or a corporation looking to be more agile with your product development, we've got you covered. So on today's podcast, we are delighted to have Lydia Jones, founder and CEO of Housemates. Housemates is a marketplace to discover and book verified student accommodation in minutes. So booking.com for student accommodation, if you like. So Lydia is an experienced entrepreneur with over seven years launching, managing and growing tech companies. She's an alumni of HubSpot's Elevate Startup Marketing Accelerator and has been featured in Tech Grounds 29 Under 29 for 2020, as well as Business Clouds 35 Under 35 to watch in the UK. Welcome, Lydia.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It's a pleasure, Lydia. So we're just going to dive straight in. Hopefully that introduction was okay for you, but I'd like you to elaborate a little bit. Tell us about yourself, your history, and then we can move on to housemates and where you got to where we are and you know what the vision is for the company. and we'll we'll, we'll dive dive in a bit deeper.
1: Sure. So I'm the, currently I'm the founder and CEO of Housemates, but as you rightly said, this journey into tech started over seven years ago. So, Mm-hmm. It isn't my first company. Before tech, I had some turkeys, and I was always quite entrepreneurial, selling turkeys and ducks and chickens. My okay. first taste of tech was when I was fifteen. I dropped out of school, and I found that my first tech company. Um, wow. sc- school just wasn't my place. You know, sometimes yeah. school is the be-all and end-all for people. For me, I used to sit in school and dream up business ideas, and then you know the dynamics of school weren't for me, so I was homeschooled for my last. Year with that whole last year and a half that allowed me to have more spare time, which really led to the first the first startup, which was a a tech startup, a fitness tech startup. I was extremely passionate about the gym and training, even though I was very young, Mm -hmm. and wanted to meet people around the similar interests. This was just as the the Instagram scene was starting, so there wasn't really the big fitness community that there is there today. You know, over three hundred million people use that hashtag of fitness on Instagram today that wasn't there back then. Um, And I started off on this journey and I I found what was called FitFlash, which was crazy, Brandon, but it seemed to be a good idea at the time. Uh And I grew FitFlash to over 30,000 users across 20 different countries. So, you know, for me, that was the first taste of tech. And when I really went on that journey, as I'm sure you'll have listeners on this show, one of the most important things as a founder is to have a vision you know, right. a, a seven, ten, fifteen-year vision. If you're really passionate about something, and when I started Pivot Flash, I didn't have that vision of I want to be like, you know, a fitness version, like an Amazon of fitness. That I, I didn't have that. Yeah.
0: Um, so what I, was it? What 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 was the driver for you starting that then? You just yeah, wanted to build something. Oh.
1: The driver was disconnect. You know, I was just right. disconnected. Um, Quite frankly, I came out of school, which was a hard situation for me whilst in school due to the dynamics mm. and experiences that I had. Homeschooling was quite isolated. I was into sure. fitness as a coping mechanism. And I was like, where do my people, where do I find my people? So it was a very, very personal problem and experience. And, you know, I was fortunate to to then go on that journey and create something to solve my problem. But then I think there was a real thing around watching Similar startups in the space raise capital and pivot their businesses, and I'm really just taking a step back and looking at why, and that was because the fitness scene on Instagram was really, really booming, and yeah. we were a fitness social platform. We had elements of tracking, don't get me wrong, but you know the the tracking wasn't like a Fitbit or a Strava or a Garmin, so. Yeah you know, our real value-propished community. And when you're a community of 30,000, it sounds like a lot, but it wasn't a dense 30,000. It was scattered. And then, you you know, you look at Instagram that had like 40 million users, never mind a billion users as it is today. So that's what happened there. And we went through that progression. And I just decided, you know, after two years of working on that business, I'm not going to raise capital because I could raise capital because I had validation, I had traffic. But actually, this isn't something that I want to spend the next 10 years of my life on. I don't think it's extremely exciting and I kind of scratched the itch by then. And I think that's something that, you know, early stage founders, again, thinking about your audience and listeners, you know, you've got to have that brutal honesty with yourself of are you just building something to get rich quick? Or are (laughs) you building something, because that never happens, right?
0: Or yeah, are you building yeah. something
1: because there's something a lot bigger there as an opportunity and a life experience?
0: Well, I think I think this is it is that you know, a lot of people will hear the success stories of all of the tech companies and think this is this is my ticket, you know, this is this is my route to, to success. And um I think you need to be as as a founder, the the people that I've spoken to are the successful ones, are A, solving problems, have the vision. And generally care about the industry that they're involved in. They haven't just decided to pluck. Oh, there's a there's a niche for this. Let's just let's go for it. You know, they've either been involved in that industry previously, or somehow been affected by that industry, or have experience in it, and then have solved a problem within that industry.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. You know, if I think about now, where you know how I went into housemates was a friend experienced the problem. And then yep. that knock-on effect, and digging deeper on it, you realise actually the sector needs disruption. What is disruption? And just you, you, I think you keep on digging and you find gold. Um, yeah. But you know, there's, you've got to have the, the passion to be able to dig. You know, sure. if you, you know, the first the first two years is a really hard slog. So you know, to get past the first two years is is where you need that real hard, tough skin and resilience. I think to see it through, um, and hopefully. You know, you get product market fits and things get easier for you.
0: Yeah. So let's let's talk about your slog and you know where you're now and housemates. Yeah. And so how many years in are you? And what, what stage are you at with housemates and, and where are we going with this?
1: Yeah, so I finished Fifth Flash, so just kind mm-hmm. of just like an interim period. I finished Fifth Flash, I've done two more startups, another fit another social startup. You would think I would learn lessons. And then <laughs> Actually, no, I've done two social startups after that, so I really didn't learn my lesson. And one was like around hashtags, and then another one, uh, which is where Housemates came from, was that a friend of mine went to university, and she was a first-year student, hugely disconnected in the buildings that they were put into, Mm -hmm. the halls. And me being me, it was the first time I took a proper job from someone else, so I was a product manager by day, and I had this side project, again, the branding, I have got better at Brandon over time, but it was terrible. It was called Hall Hang (laughs) um, because you hang out in Um, halls.
0: Housemates is definitely better.
1: (laughs) Housemates is definitely better. And we, you know, I built this MVP and the MVP was obviously in correlation with GDPR. You could see who lived around you safely, securely, and had that onboarding experience, which I think, you know, isn't really still there today. That support bubble that you need. It's it's a big life change, a big movement, a milestone. So I had this platform and I was a PM and it was like my evening job. As you can imagine how these things usually start out. And then for about six months, I started getting traction, but the traction was like students were telling other students, why didn't you come on this platform? Who were pre-accommodation quite interestingly. So They would land on the public forum, couldn't get in because they didn't have accommodation, but then started really, really venting and sharing their frustration on how hard student accommodation was to actually book. And then Mm -hmm. I kind of became obsessed with digging into that. There's just a curiosity in me, which was like, okay, well, what is that? And that went on for six months of thousands of domestic and international students. It didn't really change per demographic of really talking about the three things of why does it take so long to pick student accommodation? Why is it so expensive? And why can't I do this transaction entirely online?
0: Yeah.
1: And just kept on coming in this data and this feedback over and over. So I decided at the end of 2018, after having six to eight months of the data and taking as many calls as I could around my day job with students, that I was going to go all in. So I quit my job, didn't right. really tell anyone, that that uh-huh. was going to happen kind of shocked myself on one Friday afternoon and just said, uh, "You know, thank you for the opportunity. It's, it's been fantastic because so it was amazing uh, scale up, and I learned so much in management there as well. Hey, you're going
0: to learn some skills, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but I need to go and I need to go and see this and, and ride this journey out. So, um, 2019 was basically the year of what I call research, and I changed right. whole hang on the app store it's MVP." to become housemates. So that was the rebrand. And then I changed the MVP to move away from social finally and actually become a managed marketplace solution. So that meant that I had to really understand this, it's a bit of contradiction that had to happen. I had students that were talking about how hard it was to book. And when they talked about those booking experiences, they started referencing platforms or experiences that they had offline and online. And for me to actually really understand it and witness how do you build a technical solution, I had to then go and do that managed marketplace and manually broker transactions between a student and an operator, an accommodation operator, almost being an agent, which we're really against today. Yeah. That's why we replaced it with tech. But I had to be that to understand what you build.
0: Yeah, of course. Um,
1: so 2019 was the year of the managed marketplace solution and you know, hundreds of coffees and Zoom calls and in-person meetups with students of all kinds. I put a lot of mileage on my car and, and train tickets along along the way. But I was just on a mission to speak to as many people as possible. Right. And the reason for that is, and that, that curiosity never ever leaves me. You know, you know, um, from 2019, two years later, is that this has to be a global problem right Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. when you start speaking to that many people you realize today we know it's a global problem but when I really started thinking about what I've said earlier in this in this podcast around I want to spend the next 10 years of my life on this it needs to be global and you know how big is that opportunity so that's what happens then what happened from that is 2019 was all research and me manually brokering them and then the end of 2019 I pitched for what was initially the first tranche of pre-seed investments, secured that, but that didn't hit the bank until Q1 2020, so last year. And then I, I went about like hiring out the team, building that product, that technical solution. And then yeah, I mean, where we are today is just been unreal. The last 18 months of my life have just been crazy in terms of growth.
0: I can imagine. I just I've, there's so much I wanna I wanna poke in on on, on what you've just said and one thing in particular and you said it a few times is the word curiosity and i love that word and it's speaking to a number of vcs that we've had on the on the show and we we often ask them you know what do you look for in founders one in particular a chap wills hepworth is from a, a fund out in nyc curiosity was like top of his list is to always be sort of a naturally curious and ambitious person is just always asking questions and and digging in. And so, I'm I'm really pleased that you said that. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. And you know whether you you mentioned that word on purpose, whether you see that as a skill set of yours, and whether you think that's important to founders, or or whether it was just by chance.
1: No, so that that is me as a person. I'm very very, um, I would say, relentless is another uh-huh. word, because you know, I Very don't much. stop. I don't I don't like you to say... I, I, people generally like to tell you what you like to hear. Yeah. And you've got to ask why. You know, you've got to ask why, the five whys to get there. And it usually comes out that there's something completely different in that as to why someone's behaving a certain way, or why they're loyal to a certain brand, or why they expect this consumer experience to be the same. Sure. And you've really got to dig upon that and You know, just going back to your question, I actively, when we hire a housemate, look for really curious people. It doesn't matter where you come from, qualification-wise or experience-wise necessarily. If you're just really inquisitive and, you know, I can put you on a call with someone and you'll ask them 50 different questions, all trying to get to different touch, you know, the same touch point, the Red Hot Centre, but from different perspectives. I think it's important to be able to understand different perspectives that helps negotiation overall so yeah i mean i as a person this is me i am mm-hmm. as you can probably tell a hundred miles an hour um yeah. it's but, a
0: common theme that we see <laughs> but
1: we have to hire you know it changes right as your business grows yeah. i don't think you should ever stop hiring you cur- you know curious people but you know your first 10 hires need to be relentless on asking questions because every day you're trying to get closer or better at that product market fit and improve it. And you're just not going to get that. If I put a data set in front of someone and they don't start analysing it and segmenting it and cutting it up and pulling insights from it, then how are you meant to learn? Um, Mm. So whether it's data or a a client call or business development, you've got to have that relentless to to basically get through because people aren't naturally going to tell you what you need to know. They would just say what you would think, what they think you would like to hear. So right. that's why, you know, there's a, there's a great book called the Mum test. And it's kind of like along the lines of, if I go to my mum and I say, Hey mom, I've got this idea. She's going to say, it's absolutely fantastic. Go and do it. Cause there's a natural bias there. Yeah. If you sit someone down and say, Hey, will you use this product? They're bound to say uh, yes, nine times out of 10. Actually, what you want to sit down and say, what do you use today? How much are you spending? Where are your costs if it's a business? And really dig around that so you build the best value prop and product. And yeah. um, that's kind of the difference because a lot of founders, and I've only learned that over different startups, you know, there's also another thing which is where you generally get through asking all those questions and all, all that compound interest. The best companies usually build things that the consumer didn't know they needed right (laughs) um and there's just the thing around that of like and i always use the the example of uber because it always comes to mind if someone had said that you're going to be able to push a button on a car arrive in minutes you know if i'd said to someone tell me how to improve the taxi industry they probably would have said put more taxis on the road Right, mm-hmm. or you know, actually, just get someone to pick up the phone when I call the taxi centre. You know, they wouldn't have said. Actually, create a two-sided marketplace, create a new disruptive business model, unlock jobs and, and and the shared economy, and and just completely create a new category altogether. Yeah. And I think that only came from Uber's founders being so curious. You know, having that curiosity and really asking the questions, but then thinking. How do I build a completely different solution to what exists today? Because I think there's a thing there around if you just build your product or your business 10, 15% better than the competition, you're always going to have competition. So, what you kind of have to do is absorb the information and then say, right, okay, here's what I think the market needs based on that information. And just put all your money on that place, right? And that's scary as a founder, but you, you've just got to have the confidence and the resilience to see that through.
0: Yeah, yeah. And resilience is a good one. And so you've mentioned it a couple of times. You said that you established product market fit. How did you know you'd established product market fit? And what, what were the steps that you took to, to get there? And how do you feel you knew that you had it? At what stage did you have it?
1: Yeah, you've got two types of product market fit. I've had it at different stages. So I had product market fit on a manual uh booking engine where I was brokering transactions. Some yeah. people think product market fit is always transaction driven. Um mm. sorry about my calendar. I do not know how to mute it. I probably should now. But <laughs> I work in tech and I don't know how to, to mute my Google <laughs> calendar. But you know, this this product market fit means something to it means something different to every startup. A lot of these lean books, which I think are good, lean startup playbooks, they say when someone pays for something. Now, we're in you know, a two-sided marketplace. Always one side is harder to get than the other. And yeah. sometimes it's the demand side and sometimes it's the supply side. In our case, we are on a listing site. It might look like that when you go to our marketplace. but It is a huge commercial decision for an operator to work with us at Housemates because we handle money on their behalf, student deposits. Therefore, we have to create a lot of infrastructure and are on board and is rigorous. You don't just Mm. say, here's my portfolio and see you later. And because of that, product market fit to us initially has been actually getting multi-million, sometimes billion-pound businesses to actually sit down and sign that off at board level and calculate mm-hmm. that into their commercials because you know, you're you dealing with chains, not one building or one landlord. You know, our segment of supply on our supply side is huge businesses that... you know, Housemates' rollout is very, very different. Again, product market fits for delivery it might have been great with Concord Canary Wharf, right? And we've got mm-hmm. five to yeah. 10 restaurants... Whereas us, the playbook's very different. It's like a bit like a booking.com. If you take that hotel chain, you're taking Hilton across the UK, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's where and I mean that means a lot of different things for us as a business, but for me, the supply side, making sure that people were buying in and going through six to nine months, you know, Heather, our business development manager cycles, almost sales cycles with them was product market fit
0: for us initially. Cool. All right, that's that's really interesting. So it sounds like the tech was re- reasonably established by the time you got to that stage. I'm interested to know, you mentioned MVP before, what did the MVP look like versus what it looks like now? And do you have any advice for people who are building their first piece of tech, whatever it might be, in terms of kind of building out that MVP and then you know getting that product market fit?
1: Yeah, so very, very different is the answer compared to yeah. what I had. You know, right. you should always look back at your MVP and be ashamed. It's You're pretty not much always the answer, yeah. Yeah, you know, I just don't want to see that. You know, if you ask <laughs> James, James, my CTO, what that was, because it was before he came on board on the journey, he would, you know, uh, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't advise to look at it. But, you know, the, the point of that is is that it got me to the next place. Mm-hmm. You've got to think about, you know, every time you advance your product or release a new version, it should get you to the next place. This, but this changes over time. Every time we hire someone or we sign a partnership or we release an API or any of these things, it's got to move the needle. So when you look at it, you know, when you go on that journey as a, as a startup founder, you know, you te- you're testing so many things and trying to validate so many things in the early days. You're trying to validate, is this a problem? Will people pay for it? What do I charge for it? You know, how do I go to market? Where are my, my early adopters? You know, am I pricing this thing right? There's so many variables at play. Um, you know, my advice on it is build something, ship it fast, get feedback, you know, accept that it's going to change rapidly, expect yeah. it to do. If, it's, if it doesn't change, then there's almost something wrong because you're not yeah, getting the right feedback. And 18 yeah. months later, when you look at it, it will be a completely different beast. You know, that's what I, that's what I call yeah. it now, because yeah. you constantly got to feed the engine.
0: There's something on that, that you know, and it ties back into the curiosity thing. And so I wonder whether it's some of the founders that we work with, want to, it's a, it's a natural human instinct is to sort of add features and stuff like that pre-launch. It's a, it's a natural thing. You get excited about your product and I totally get it. But then kind of, I think the natural curiosity, and correct me if I'm wrong or apply this to yourself, is do we not think that it's better to push something out there and then try and learn from, you You know, what assumptions do you make pre-launching a new like product or a new piece of development that you've done? You know yeah. how much, how many, much assumptions you're making pre-launch before actually validating that idea of through actual real user feedback.
1: I mean, I make some assumptions because yeah. I mean, if you go back to version one, my assumption is there's a there's a serious problem with student accommodation, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And my assumptions were everyone operates independently. You've got visa agents, educational agents, people trying to monetize from the students at different touch points. You've got no. Central platform, you no know, end-to-end platform, that's cost effective. These were all my assumptions through conversations that I had whilst building that initial MVP. But it's important not to sit on assumptions for too long because the market changes. You know, you as a founder and you're, you you're the this from speaking to other founders, is like only the paranoid survive, basically. And you know, that's Andy Groves' book from Intel, but it's really, really true of like you know, there's always someone else that wants to take your market share or you're generally not the first person to think about the solution. It's really the best solution that wins um, and yeah, iterates as fast as possible. Yeah, execution yeah. is everything. You know, yeah. I see so many people, this is something that I will say is like, so many people think being a startup founder is sexy. It isn't. Like, you know, I, I, can, I can just tell it you. You like,
0: a few I people's dreams.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, because there's we talk about the greatness of it, right? And we talk about the tech side of it. And when you say you've raised that Series A and Series B or C or whatever it is, but then the execution comes. And the execution has got to be 20, 30 times more than what it was prior to closing that round. So the valuations and... Not
0: free money, they want their money back.
1: back. That's it, they want it back. And, you know, they want sometimes... 50 to 100 extra ten, depending on what fund it is, that's not bad. That's just their model, how they work. Mm. And I think there's a lot around like talking about valuations and raising money, which I'm happy to cover. And it's a hard slog to do it, but it's the execution. you know. And I really like that word because there's a lot of talk, but I, I really like founders who just go missing for like 12 months and come back with something amazing
0: yeah that's awesome so on on the subject of execution, let's talk about the future of housemates and what you guys are what you guys are planning. you know what does the roadmap look like for you know the next twelve months uh, you' you're opening up apis and things like that so what what are we working on what's what's in the pipeline?
1: Yeah, so I mean, going back to the initial three problems the students had, the solution for me that we had to build was the end to end compliance. Fast and secure booking engine online for co- students accommodation. Yeah. But I have to say that today we've done that. We launched that in December, December 2020. We went on that journey of iteration to get there, building it alongside operators. Obviously, taking you know some of that with a pinch of salt because you have to kind of look ahead of where the market needs to go. They might not necessarily yeah. know. And we built that booking engine, and I was like, great. Now what? Like, now what do we do? Because that's the consumer side. And throughout that time, you know, COVID was extremely catastrophic, right? For just for society and humanity, right? Right. And extremely sensitive subjects. Some businesses thrived, some, you know, sadly went bankrupt. Um, For us, what we did throughout COVID is kept the bus moving. We kept on raising capital from existing investors. We kept on developing products. And what happened is, which shapes the next 12 months of our business and trajectory, is that we built extremely g- good relationships with operators because they had the time to have those conversations,
0: yeah, which absolutely.
1: meant that when we launched the booking engine and I was like, okay, what next? We realized that actually there's a huge B2B side, a huge SaaS side, an opportunity to really give operators the tools to attract, convert, and retain their tenants across the board. Wow. Um and that's big. That's a big mission because there's lots of, as you can imagine, holes on that. And, yeah. okay, looking at existing software management that they're using, the software is 15 years old. As you can imagine, everyone's on a different yeah. version and mm-hmm. they're paying, you know, an absolute fortune for it. So when we look at housemates and where we're going, my vision and our, our vision as a company is going back to my assumptions when I started this off, everyone was acting independently in the market. There needs to be an ecosystem, people need to work together. And I believe that tech can do that and can enable those connections to form and and really flourish. So when we look at it, we're here to build an ecosystem. How do you do that? Well, we do it through our booking engine and we do it through data. And data, this is, you know, you look at our segments of supply, we deal with PBSA, which is known as Purpose Built Students Accommodation. It's still a very new market, you know 10 to 15 years old in some, in some geographical areas. It hasn't had you know a, a Buchen.com or an Expedia of etc. There's no go-to for that consumer, great fast consumer friendly experience, but also b2B cost reducing data accessibility suite of products right. Yeah. So when we look at the next 12 months, we look at actually building out that ecosystem so you know what have we done so far in q1 well obviously we launched our marketplace we've launched sas which means that we've got bed management occupancy management you can use our booking engine on your website you can use it on your paid social to convey your traffic awesome. so basically like an apple pay gateway yeah. you can use it which helps conversion across the boards lowers acquisition and operational costs and then we said right okay well You know, in order to we are we see ourselves very differently than any other tech or software business that's ever came into this market or exists today. Which is, we want to work with the sector for the sector. You know, we are not like this gated. Let's sign you into a retainer of a few hundred thousand pounds, and we're not going to do any APIs. And oh, this is our data. Um, (laughs) And actually, what it looks like is. It means that our APIs can be used anywhere. So we built a marketplace API, which meant that when you list with us our housemates, we take that property and we put it onto Nestpick, we put it onto House and Hand and Formed, all these fantastic partnerships that mean that today your property is standard gets seen by like north, north of 60 million people. That's without our own organic traffic. And that's without our paid traffic that we do as well on top of that pair building. So we built the Marketplace API. There's a booking API coming out, which means that going back to data, if you're tied into a contract with an existing property management software, but you want to list on Housemarter Marketplace and you've got a big volume of properties, that manually taking data from our platform, successful booking data, back to your management or software occupancy tool, it's time consuming, which goes against our values reducing costs across yeah. the board. So the Bookens API will allow you to take your Bookend data from HouseMates and sync it back to any software management tool you've got today, which is fantastic awesome. for, for yeah,
0: all the users. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Lydia, for joining us. I think we've run into some technical technical difficulties on your microphone there, but nonetheless, it's been an absolutely fascinating discussion. We've really enjoyed having you on and yeah, we'd love to have you back sometime To in a couple of years once uh, you're a little bit further down the line and we can talk about your, no doubt, even greater success. So thanks again, Lydia. Tune in next week, guys, for a little bit more on the world of digital products, startups, launching products, getting funded, and everything in between. Cheers. See you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of LaunchBase brought to you by Born Digital, mission complete. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a comment. For more info and to stay connected off the show, visit launchbase.fm.